thanks, Lyle, for that beautiful medley of hymns. What a great uh, song, or a couple of songs together there to keep our minds on the Lord. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, let me invite you to open up to John chapter 13, John 13, and when you get there, uh, you can turn to verse 36 towards the end of the chapter as we dive into our time together this morning. If you're taking notes today in your bulletin, you'll notice there's a little outline, and the title of this morning's sermon is The Prideful Presumption of Peter. John chapter 13, the very end, last three verses, 36 through 38, the Apostle John writes this. He says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Father, we bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning, and I pray that you would help us to learn what you want us to learn so that we can live out a faith that is ever dependent upon you. God, thank you for the time that we've had together to sing songs to your greatness and to your majesty. And I pray that as we dive in this text today, we would see the frailty of our faith without you being at the center of it all. So God, may we learn much today and live it out for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a story of a man named Alexander who lost his beautiful wife, Samantha. This tragic event happened shortly after she had given birth to their baby girl, Nicole. He had then lived alone in his house in the woods with his baby girl, who was 10 months old, and his dog, who became his new best friend. The dog was so faithful and intelligent that Alexander would regularly leave it to watch over his little daughter while he goes and does what he does. One day, Alexander returns home, and he finds uh, the little girl asleep with the dog watching over her, and he felt so warm and cuddly inside. And then, a few weeks later, something terrible happened. When Alexander was out, as was his custom, to the local store to get some much-needed groceries, he left the child in care of the dog. After about 25 minutes, he returned home and found the whole place was a mess. The scene was really scary as the little baby's bed was destroyed and her clothes and her diapers were torn to pieces and there was blood and scratch marks on the floor. In great shock, Alexander began searching for his lovely baby, fearing the worst, and he broke out in a cold sweat. And out of nowhere, the dog appeared from under the table and looked both startled and guilty. Alexander suddenly remembered he had forgot to feed the dog before leaving, and in a sudden rage, he went berserk, and without reasoning, he rushed in and took his gun and shot his faithful dog at close range in the head. He then continued frantically to look for his daughter, and lo and behold, she was under the table, unscathed, and unharmed. Close to the table at the other end was the body of a huge dead fox torn into pieces in what appeared to be a terrible fierce battle between it and his dead dog whom he had just 
killed. Apparently, the fox had entered the house through an open window. Suddenly, it became clear to Alexander, who now understood what really happened when he was gone. His faithful dog of five years had fought bravely to save his only child from a hungry, wild animal. In his impatience and uncontrolled anger, he had just killed his loyal companion. Alexander, unfortunately, learned his lesson in a very difficult way. Well, this story is something valuable, has something valuable to teach each and every one of us. Many times we rush in judging others wrongly and tear them into shreds through our actions before we have time to evaluate what truly happened. Sometimes it's the harsh words that we use in that moment that hurt innocent people around us. Sometimes it's lashing out and acting rashly without having all the details. This is called the sin of presumption. Without taking the time to find out the true order of things or to hear the other side of the story, we often barge in and presume that things are the way that we think them to be. And with little patience and a head full of steam, we can drastically overreact and end up regretting it later. Peter was such a character who on many occasions stuck his foot in his mouth. More than once, he presumed that a given situation would go a certain way or that Jesus should not say a certain thing or that the result would end differently than how the Lord said it would. And all of this is an evidence of pride, which leads to presuming that you know better and sometimes you think that you know better than God. Oh, that we would more often put our hands over our mouths and say what Job learned and said at the end of Job in chapter 42, verses 2 through 3, when Job said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Do you have a tendency, like Peter or like Job, to presume that you know better than the Lord? Do you at times utter what you do not truly understand? Have you ever thought or acted in a certain way because of your presumption and it left you with remorse and regret? Well, today, I want to caution you against the sin of presumption. And I want to do so by examining three lessons that we can learn by looking at the prideful presumption of Peter. Our first heading this morning, our first lesson that we want to learn is this. Number one, pride prevents you from hearing everything. And that first blank there is what Peter missed. What Peter missed. Look again at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. What Peter missed. Now, if you look back up at verse 33, just to set a little context here, you might remember that Jesus said, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, in that verse, verse 33, Jesus is referring, and he's teaching his disciples while they're in the upper room, what he had told the Jews earlier 
to where he was going, that they could not come. And in that context, Jesus was addressing unbelievers who would have no entrance into heaven. But now Jesus is addressing his disciples, and he's telling them a similar thing, where I am going, you cannot come. But for the disciples, this is only temporary. The disciples cannot follow Jesus to heaven now, but they will follow him later. And that's why Jesus says here in verse 36, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Now, as important as this is, I believe that the main point that Jesus wants to leave with his disciples in this passage is what he says in verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is telling his disciples that the number one way that people in the world will know that, they, that these disciples have been with Jesus is not by what they will teach, but it is by how they will love. In this context, Jesus says, all people will know that you're my disciples, not by what you stand against, but how you love one another. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how too many times we emphasize doctrine and we minimize the command to love. And I don't know about you, but I want to do both well. We never want to water down doctrine in our church, but we want to be a church that loves one another. We want to follow the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second commandment Jesus said is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then when we get to verse 36, though, it's almost as if Peter missed all of this. In verse 36, Peter doesn't ask Jesus to qualify or clarify how he can love his neighbor or love others. Instead, he just asks Jesus a question about logistics. Lord, where are you going? This would be like if Lisa and I were about to go on a long trip and I'm giving some very important instructions to the babysitter and to our children of what they're to be doing while we're gone. And one of my kids asked, well, where are you going? Of course, I would tell them again where it is that we're going, but I would also say, hey, hey kids, listen up. It's important to me that you hear what I'm saying. I'm giving you some instructions that I want you to obey while I'm gone. And in the same way, Jesus is giving some instructions to his disciples about exactly what it is that they are to be doing while he's gone. But Peter sort of missed out on what Jesus was saying. And sometimes followers of Jesus develop selective hearing, meaning that we hear part of what Jesus said, but not all of what Jesus said. And this shows that sometimes we only care about some of the things that Jesus says, but not everything he says with equal attention. And if you are falling into that trap this morning, then it could be evidence of your pride. If you have selective hearing, then you are demonstrating that it is you who will decide what truth you want to listen to and what truth is important and what truth that you will let fall to the wayside. And may that not be true of us today, but may we listen to every word of God. May we pay attention to everything that Jesus said. May we be reminded this morning that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Well, now that we see what Peter may have missed, that emphasis on loving one another, Let's now move on to what Peter should have known. 
your next blank there, what Peter should have known. Now, I know that Jesus did not always answer a direct question with a direct answer. I also know that Jesus taught in parables in order to conceal spiritual truths from unbelievers and to reveal those truths to his followers. But I would say here that Peter should have known what Jesus was talking about here if he had been really paying attention. In Matthew 16, 21, we read, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Again, Jesus had been teaching in Matthew 17, 22 through 23, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And then one more time in Matthew 20, 17 through 19, these were all teachings that Jesus had given to Peter and the disciples. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. How much clearer could Jesus have made it? I mean, he had told his disciples time and time again that he would be arrested, that he would be condemned, that he would die on the cross, and that he would be raised again on the third day. So when Peter asked, here in John 13, 36, when he asked, where are you going? He should have known that Jesus was going to the cross and that his body would be in the grave, and that on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Again, sometimes it is pride that keeps you from hearing everything. You think you know it all, but you don't really know it all. Kind of like a child who thinks they've heard that Bible story before, but they forgot the most important detail. Or like a teenager who thinks they know it all, but they really don't. Teenagers, you really don't know it all. You really do need to listen to your mom and dad, and more importantly, to the Bible, who tells you to listen to your mom and dad, right? But we're saying that it's all pride when we think we know, but we don't. A humble person will listen to every detail, every time, to make sure they're getting the full description, understanding even the fine print, and gathering all the data in order to make an informed decision. And then we also see in this verse, verse 36, what Peter should have been encouraged by. What he should have been encouraged by. Notice he says, he says here in verse 36, Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow afterward. I think Peter should have been most encouraged by what is found there at the end of verse 36. You will follow afterward. This is like a guarantee from Jesus that these 11 disciples are in. Like, these 11 disciples are for sure going to heaven. I mean, if any of these 11 disciples ever struggle with the assurance of their salvation, at least they know Jesus is saying to them, you will go to heaven afterwards. That's got to be really encouraging. What, what an incredible thing to know that you're guaranteed heaven from the lips of Jesus. They will be with Jesus. They will be saved. Their eternity is secure. I mean, is there any better news than that? Uh, what if I could guarantee you that all of your children would graduate from college and will be happily married and live fulfilling lives? What if I could guarantee you, for you sports fans out there, that your favorite baseball 
basketball or football team will win the national championship at least 10 times over the next 25 years? Or what if I could guarantee you that you will die a good old age with no cancer or no major illness or no accident and that your 401k will grow at a rate of 10% every year? Wouldn't that be good news? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good news. But there's no news like Jesus looking at you and saying to you, you will follow me to heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. There's no good news like Jesus saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, I have good news for you this morning. The Bible does guarantee your salvation. It is as if Jesus is looking at you today and saying that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It doesn't say you have to live a perfect life to be saved. It doesn't say a Republican has to be president to be saved. Thank God, right? It says that you look to Christ as the answer to your need of salvation. And if you're in Christ, you too this morning have a guarantee from Jesus in his word that if you believe in him with all your heart, Evidence also by the fact that you're going to follow him. It's not just lip service, but belief is translated into trust and in obedience, though it's only the belief that saves you. The obedience is a evidence of genuine belief. But the idea that I'm getting at this morning is don't be distracted from hearing the most important truths from the lips of Jesus. Be encouraged by them. Make sure that you're hearing all of what Jesus is saying. You are loved If you're in Christ this morning, you are forgiven. If you're in Christ this morning, life may not go according to your plan, and Jesus may not let you do certain things you want to do, and things just don't pan out like you thought. But you know what? If you got salvation, you're going to be with him forever. Who cares what happens in this life? You've got Christ. You've got a guarantee in Jesus. Pretty encouraging, isn't it, this morning? Let's not be prideful, but let's listen to all the words of Jesus. The second lesson I want you to learn this morning is this. Number two presumption prevents you from complete dependence. Let's look here first at Peter's devotion. Peter's devotion. You got to appreciate Peter. I'm not really jumping on his case this morning. I I think we all identify with Peter probably more than any disciple. We see ourselves in him because he's so real to the degree that he stumbles and falls and says things that are similar to what we would say. But Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Look at the devotion of Peter here. There's no doubt that Peter has devotion for the Lord. There's no doubt that Peter has good intentions. There's no doubt that Peter wants to do the right thing. Peter loves Jesus. Peter dropped his fishing nets and gave up his career in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you even remember at the end of John 6 where Jesus taught that he was the bread of heaven, and in John 6, 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And then we read in John 6, 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And many of those who followed Jesus did not follow him anymore. 
Some of them were fair-weathered disciples. After this, John 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. But not Peter. Do you remember in that context there, what did Peter do in that moment? John 6, 67 and following, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know you, the Holy One of God. Peter's got great devotion. Lord, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. I don't care how hard it is, how tough it is, how difficult it may be, whatever I have to sacrifice, I'm going with you. I love that devotion of Peter. Peter stayed. Peter was devoted to Christ. Peter knew that he must sell out for Jesus, that he must hold nothing back. And you know what? He was glad to do so because he knew that only Jesus had the words of eternal life. Only Jesus was the Holy One of God. Only Jesus could save him from his sins. And even here in John 13, 37, there is evidence of devotion in Peter's words. Peter expresses a strong desire to be with Jesus and to not part with him. I want to follow you now. I want to be with you now. So I love the devotion of Peter, but we've got to also see here in this verse, there's a hint of his frustration. Your next blank, Peter's frustration, says, I, I want to be with you. Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. There's devotion there, but there's also frustration. If you're holding on to an NASB translation this morning, you'll see that that is translated there as that I want to be with you right now. Peter is saying, why can I not follow you right now? Later is not good enough for Peter. He wants to follow the Lord right now. The problem with this is that Jesus had just said, you cannot follow me now. We see here the impatience of Peter. Impatience leads to frustration. This would be like if I was going on a mission trip to Uganda and one of my kids asked, Dad, can I come with you to Africa? And I reply, no, you cannot come with me now, but you can come with me on a later trip. And if that same child said, but Dad, why can't I come with you right now? I would probably take a moment and encourage that child to be patient until Dad decided that it would be the right time for them to come. Now, if you are not careful, impatience and frustration can lead to foolishness. In fact, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 16, 21. Let's see how impatience and how just the, the pride and arrogance of thinking at times we know better than Jesus can lead to you doing something foolish. That's just what happens to Peter. You'll know this story, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Well, after Jesus shared this with his disciples, you may remember what happened next there in 16, 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Well, now Peter is off his rocker. 
He is acting presumptuously. Peter is assuming that he knows better than Jesus. Peter actually rebukes Jesus. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter uses emphatic language. Peter's frustration has gone too far. And what does Jesus do in response to that? Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, I would never respond so boldly to one of my kids if they were like, Dad, but we want to go right now. Get behind me, Satan. Children, (laughs) get behind me. But in this context, it's an appropriate rebuke of our Lord. You don't ever rebuke Jesus. You don't ever tell Jesus that this is going to happen or that's not going to happen. And we, we, we get impatient and we get frustrated. We're tempted to act foolishly and we become a hindrance to God what this verse says. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. That word hindrance literally means a stumbling block. According to one lexicon, this word refers to an action that leads one to act contrary to a proper course of action or a set of beliefs. This word can also refer to a temptation to sin or an enticement to commit apostasy or false belief. And so Peter got frustrated with Jesus. And now Jesus lovingly, but very firmly and directly confronts Peter and basically says, when you get like that, Peter, it's like you're working for Satan. When you set your mind on the things of man rather than on the things of God, you are an obstacle in God's way. When you start thinking or saying that you know better than Jesus, that you know better than God, that you know better than God's word, how a certain thing should be handled or dealt with, then you are not completely depending upon God, but on yourself. And when you depend on yourself, you get impatient and you get frustrated. So we've seen Peter's devotion. We've seen Peter's frustration. Now let's just look squarely at this idea of Peter's presumption. I want to give you three ways that you can commit the sin of presumption. Number one, you think you know what God is going to do. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. You think you know what God's going to do. Let me just set the context as you turn to 1 Samuel 15. And as you turn there, just remember that Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was put in charge of how Israel was to function. And at one of these times in the history of Israel, God had commanded Saul to wipe out all of the Amalekites. And if you remember that story in 1 Corinthians 15, Saul didn't do it. He spared Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, and he spared a lot of the cattle, and he acted as if he had done everything just as he had been instructed to do, but he did not. And so then God sent Samuel, the holy prophet of God, to go confront Saul and when Samuel comes to Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 13, Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed uh, the, the commandment of the Lord. So this is what's going on. Samuel actually confronted him. Like, what, what is it that you're doing? In fact, verse 14 says that. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep 
in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear. You see what's going on? God commanded Saul to wipe all, out, all the animals out and kill King Agag. He didn't do it. When Samuel shows up, Saul acts as if he's done everything. And that's where in verse 13 he says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel says to Saul, no, you haven't. Why do I hear these sheep? And what is the lowing of the oxen? You haven't done what God's called you to do. And then we hear these famous verses in verses 22 through 23. There for Samuel 15, 22 through 23. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? So he's saying, Saul made the excuse, well, we've got all these animals. We can sacrifice these animals to the Lord. And Samuel says, no, no, God doesn't delight in a whole bunch of sacrifices. He delights in your obedience. He delights in you being a faithful follower of his commandment, not making up your own. God doesn't care about that, but he cares about you obeying the voice of the Lord. And then that's where Samuel says in the middle of verse 22, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. And we teach these kind of lessons to our kids all the time, right? Whenever our kids think they're doing something that's great and awesome, but it's, what, it's not what mom and dad said to do. So then we're like, hey, I, I'm glad you did that, or I wanted to do that. There's, a, there, that, that, there's a, some value in that, but not at the expense of actually not doing what it is that we asked you to do. Because obedience is better than sacrifice, and it's more important for you to listen than to offer up the fat of these rams. And then look at verse 23, for rebellion is the sin of divination. Now, that always gets our attention, right? Whenever a parent looks at a kid and says, when you rebel like that, you're acting like the devil. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's like, look, when you rebel, like you're dabbling in divination, and that gets all our attention, and usually that's about where we lose our focus on the verse. Look at the next part, though. It says, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, I, I think that we give presumption a pass. And we're like, oh, well, he just kind of presumed a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. It's like, no, no, presumption is a big deal to God. When you presume that you know what God wants and you do something different than what he commanded, then in that moment, you're committing the sin of presumption. And the Bible says that when you're presuming upon the Lord, that is iniquity, which is the idea of a crooked path, and it is idolatry that you're not worshiping God, you're not esteeming his word, you're not following his commandments, you now have set up your own standard. You've set up your own way. You think you know better than God. And so when we commit presumption, we commit iniquity and idolatry because we have, in that moment, rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. And you know what happens to Saul. Basically, Samuel tears from him his garment, symbolic of tearing the kingdom away. He's going to give it to another who has a heart after God. And in a sense, we could learn so much from this that to presume upon the Lord is to assume that you know better than God. And since you think you know better than God, then you assume that he's going to be okay with you doing whatever it is that you're doing. You actually believe that you might even receive his blessing instead of his punishment. To presume upon the Lord in this way is arrogant. To presume upon the Lord in this way 
to, to presume in this way is it's like urging God to do something different than what he has already said in his word he will do. This is to press upon God in an unhealthy way. This is the sin, as the NASB puts it, of insubordination. You think you know what God's going to do, but you don't. So you presume upon the Lord, and then things don't turn out so well. We see this all over the Bible. Abraham presumed that God would give him a child through Hagar instead of Sarah. So they had Ishmael, and we are still seeing unrest in the Middle East. Joshua presumed upon the Lord that God would give them victory at Ai, but on their first attempt, they got pounded and had to retreat. The Israelites presumed that if they took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, that the Lord would give them victory over the Philistines, but instead they lost the Ark and it was captured. Don't presume upon the Lord. Listen to the Lord and obey his word. At all costs, don't ever think that you know better than God. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. But you've got to follow and walk in obedience to God's word. So presumption is thinking that you know better than God or you know what it is God's going to do. But presumption is also your next blank. You think you know what others are going to do. The scripture is also full of stories when Bible characters presumed what others were going to do and they ended up being wrong. Abraham presumed that Abimelech would kill him if he knew Sarah was his wife. So he said, she is my sister but Abraham was wrong. Isaac presumed that he was blessing Esau, not Jacob, but he was wrong. Jacob presumed that Laban was going to give him Rachel, but he gave him Leah instead. You may think you know what others are going to do, but you don't always know what others are going to do. So proceed with caution, not presumption. So presuming is thinking that you know what God's going to do, thinking you know what others are going to do, and it's thinking that you know what you are going to do. Peter emphatically tells Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. The problem here is that Peter is too sure of himself. Peter was very emphatic. He was very passionate, and he was not at all pleased that Jesus saw this going down in a different way. Peter was so confident that he would not fall that all of the other disciples followed in his wave of emotion. Matthew 26, 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. See, now he's leading other disciples away from what it is that Jesus had taught them. But then in Mark 14, 27, Jesus does say, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, all I'm saying here is that part of presumption is saying emphatically what you will do. And while I appreciate the passion of Peter, be careful not to fall into pride. Jesus warns us that having zeal without knowledge is a dangerous thing. And then in John 1338, back to our main text here, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Sure enough, 
after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and going through illegal trials throughout the night. We read in Matthew 26, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went outside to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. He spoke like a Galilean, so they knew he was up from up north. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Peter denied it before them all. He denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And Peter denied it, invoking a curse upon himself. I do not know the man. You must not presume how you would act or respond in any situation. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to be humble and dependent on the Lord at all times. 2 Peter 3.17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error or lawless people and lose your own stability. So time and time again, we're told, be careful, take care. You too could fall. Hold tight to the word of God. Hold close to Jesus. Don't, don't, don't ever veer away from him. We need to beware that we could be led astray. So let's keep looking at the scripture and asking God for his help to help us stand firm and to fight with the weapons of spiritual warfare. The apostle Peter says it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. You hear what Paul's saying? I too have the sin of pride and presumption, so God in his kindness sent a messenger to me, this thorn in my flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, not in me, not in my ability, but in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, when Jesus said, you guys, you're going to deny me, instead of Peter saying, I would never do that, he should have been saying, Jesus, I'm so weak. I'm just so weak. Will you help me? I, I, I don't want to do that, but I know that you've said I'm going to do that. What can I do? I'm so weak. Instead, Peter's like, I'll never do that. You got it wrong, Jesus. Don't be conceited. Follow the Lord. Trust the Lord. Know that it's God's grace which is sufficient for you in any trial. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. Boast not in yourself, but in the power of Christ. Learn to be content in every circumstance so that you too can say, when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Presumption's just arrogance, according to James 4, where he says, you shouldn't say tomorrow we'll do this and tomorrow do that. He says, no, you should say, if the Lord wills, then we'll do this and do that. And in that same context of James 4, he says, don't be arrogant. Don't be so demanding that you've got it all together. You don't really know. And so what we've seen here is that pride prevents you from hearing everything. Presumption prevents you from completely depending on the Lord. But last, I want you to see here that prideful presumption meets its match in Jesus. It meets its match in Jesus. Again, verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. A few lessons we can learn maybe just in summary of it all would be this. A, Peter will not lay down his life for Jesus, but Jesus will lay down his life for Peter. Jesus said to Peter, will you lay down your life for me? The answer is not at this time because Peter ends up denying Jesus that same night. But all is not lost. Christ's love for Peter will not allow him to totally slip away. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? To which Peter replies three times. Some would say this was Peter redeeming himself for his three denials. Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus gives him the responsibility of feeding his sheep. And at that moment, Jesus says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, this is very significant. Verse chapter 21 of John, 18 and 19, when I just read to you, because I think part of what Jesus is saying to Peter here is this. Earlier, remember this is the 20, John 21 is after the resurrection, after Peter repented, after he said, you know I love you, Lord, three times, and then Jesus basically says this to him. Earlier, I said that you could not come where I'm going, but now it's time. It's time for you to live your life for me, to preach the gospel, to take risks, and you will actually die a similar death as mine. Jesus is saying, you will live a little while longer, and then when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. This is inferred here as a reference to the cross. And church history records, by the way, that Peter did not die on a cross right side up, but upside down. Because when he came to that point of his life, he said he's not worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Though Peter did not know his own heart, Jesus not only knew it, but Jesus also revealed it. And we see in these verses that Jesus is the great prophet. Jesus not only specified how many times Peter would deny him, three And at that moment, a rooster would crow, but he also details the exact means of Peter's future death on a cross. When prideful presumption meets its match in Jesus, pride is crushed and humility is cultivated. When prideful presumption meets its match in Jesus, arrogance evaporates and obedience solidifies. When prideful presumption meets its match in Jesus, assumptions are annihilated and dependent faith 
is alive and well. All we're saying with that whole point there is one day Peter will go to be with Jesus and he'll die like Jesus died, just not yet. It comes later at the end of his life, some say about 30 years later. But we also see here, your next blank, Peter will not acknowledge Jesus before men, but Jesus will acknowledge Peter before the Father. Now, Peter's denial of Jesus was a temporary one. It's not a lifelong denial. Peter does come back to the Lord, as we just saw. Peter is basically saying that at this time, Jesus is saying at this time, Peter's not ready to lay down his life for Jesus. Even though he thinks he is, he's not ready. Even though Peter has good intentions and convictions, they aren't strong enough to carry through at this time. This kind of reminds me of that famous story from church history of one of the English reformers by the name of Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Maybe you remember, just in short, at one point when his life was on the line, he recanted his faith, and he later repented of that cowardly act and courageously faced execution a second time to be burned at the stake. And this time, his faith held strong, and he stood boldly at the stake. And while the flames curled around him, he steadily held out his right hand over the fire, and he said, this unworthy hand. And at the same time, he held his left hand up towards heaven, and the fire engulfed him completely, greatly, had he sinned, but greatly had he repented. Like Peter, he fell, but like Peter, he rose again. Peter and Thomas Cranmer both recanted their recantation. But if they didn't, for someone who lives a lifetime of denial, whether it be by words or by deeds, Jesus issues this clear warning in Matthew 10, 32 through 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying that if we deny him before men here on earth, then he will deny us before God who is in heaven. And that would be a permanent denial. If you stumble like Peter and you stumble like Thomas Cranmer and you repent and come back, then God will also be faithful to you. Last blank, Peter will never forget that look he got from Jesus and Jesus will always give that same look to you. Right after the rooster crowed as recorded in one of the synoptics, Luke twenty-two sixty-one through 62, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, what do you think that look was that Jesus gave to Peter in that moment? Here, here's the scene again. It's the night. Peter denies, 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 and immediately the rooster crows, and then it's as if he remembers, and he looks at Jesus. And Jesus is looking right at Peter. And what do you think that look was like? Well, I don't believe it was a scowl with a furrowed brow. And I don't think it was a look of anger or disgust. I think it was more of a look of love. I think it was a look of forgiveness. I think it was a look of compassion. I think that it was a look as if Jesus was saying, all right, Peter, that's enough. Let's get on with it. 
And Peter then wept bitterly, and apparently he also repented because from then on, Peter never looked back. Right? He, he, never, he never denied Christ again. From that moment on, Peter was fearless, and he was filled with courage, and he was a fiery preacher. Peter was filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. Peter preached a gospel message calling all those to repent within the sound of his voice. Peter became the leader of the early church. Peter performed many miracles. Peter was arrested for preaching in Jesus' name. Peter really did comprehend Jesus' message of loving one another. And in 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter said, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You ever thought about that? Peter knew his sins had been covered. And he now gets the whole point is like, teach love. Teach, love God and love others. Peter had tasted of the love of Christ and he experienced the love of Christ. And Peter was changed by the love of Christ. And you too can be changed this morning. No matter what sin you've been involved in, no matter how many times you feel like you've failed Christ as a disciple and you've denied him in front of your friends or you've denied him at work or you've denied him in front of your family. Maybe you need to take another look at Jesus this morning and see how he is looking at you with eyes of love and forgiveness. Maybe that's the message you need to hear right now. Looking to Christ to give you another chance is not presumption. It is salvation. Looking to Christ to forgive you is not making an unwise assumption, but rather it's the way of salvation. Presumption is thinking that you'll be okay to continue your life without Christ. Presumption is thinking that you'll be fine continuing your hidden sin. Presumption is thinking that God owes you something. God doesn't owe you anything but judgment for your sin, but because he is a merciful and forgiving God, he offers you forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. Come to him this day, and he will by no means cast you out. Turn from your sin and your shame. Don't commit the sin of pride or presumption. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for some of these reminders this morning of how easy it is for us to fall into that sin of presumption, how easy it is for us to think that we would never do this or do that, or maybe some of the things that God's even said in the Bible just aren't fair. Our culture says it. May we as Christians never say it, but may we rather submit to your word and to see the wisdom in your ways, and to be humbled by your power, and to be changed by your love. And while we appreciate the devotion of Peter, we see how he misstepped at times, and so do we, Lord. We are so quick to presume upon you that we know what someone else is thinking, that we know what the Bible says when we've never really studied what your word says, that we think we know what we would do, in any given situation, which we would never be able to do without your power and your grace working in us. Help us to be a church, Lord, that does not presume. Help us to be a church that would never emphatically rebuke Jesus. Help us to be a church that would be humble, that would listen, and would follow in the steps and in the ways of your word, God. We need 
to be humble today. And we need to live a life by faith today. And we need to live a life of trusting in you and worshiping you with all that we are. And I pray that you would help us do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.